Wow, so many people. This is almost like a Christmas present. Um, I, I hope 101, 102 is with us now. Um, welcome for those of you joining us from 101, 102. Welcome to those of you joining us from your home. Um, such a good day to be here um, and, and to worship together and spend time as family in the body of Christ. And so, um, welcome wherever you're joining us this morning. So one of my um, favorite um, events to watch um, every four years is the Olympics, um, like many of you. And I do have um, probably a favorite event. And my favorite event is the 100-meter dash. Maybe it's because I couldn't ever do that. Uh, or, well, I wasn't actually ever asked to do that, um, we should say. Not that I couldn't run 100 meters, but I, I love the event. And what's so crazy about that event is there is so much hype and there is so much buildup into an event, a race that lasts literally if someone's slow 10 seconds. If they're slow, it lasts 10 seconds. And I love the, the start, how the anticipation builds, and you'll see the runners, they'll get down, they'll take a knee, and they'll get into the starting block. This would probably be easier in a shorts and t-shirt. But they get into the starting block, and they're kneeling, and then you'll wait, and you'll hear just this silence. And then you'll hear an announcer, runners, take your mark. And they rise and then the gun goes off. And it's a race that has so much, like I said, so much anticipation. And lasts literally 10 seconds. And, and it's not a real difficult feat. Now, the actual skill to do it is unbelievable. And recently, just watching Usain Bolt um, run. And I don't know if any of y'all have, have been fans, but watching the races that he wins, how far ahead of the field he is, and some of the races that he wins. It just blows my mind. But it's something that I was never really able to do. Now, I don't know if I've told any of you this or not, but in 2016, I ran the Houston Marathon. Hold for applause. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank um, you. I ran the, the marathon. Now, now, what's so different about a marathon is there are no starting blocks, right? You, you start standing up, and you're not running 100 meters, you're running 26.2 miles. And if you've ever seen a marathon or run a marathon, it is such an incredibly different race. Because with a, a sprint, it's right there. You see the finish line. And, and there might be some, some things that change the atmosphere, the environment that day. There might be some, some rain or things like that. But with a marathon, um, if you're me, you're running it over like four to four and a half hours. So you, you have time for the weather to change. For the sun to rise and set and, and, and plenty of other things to happen. Rain 
storms and tur- hurricane or tornadoes to come through. And there's plenty of time because if you're going to pay that much money for a race, enjoy all of it, right? <laughs> but there is so much more that happens along the way. Where in 100 meters, your, your lane is marked out and you see the finish line. In a marathon, you start running and you don't get to stop for a long, long, long time. And, and so much of my life, I desire or I would like to be these sprints. Right? Because with the sprint, there is a lot of clarity built into the race. Right? I know the start. I, I know where the block is. I know where the finish line is. I know where my lane is. And there's not a lot that can change within that environment. But in a marathon, over that time period, so much can change and so much can be different. And things that are unexpected pop up. And and so much of our life, so much of our faith is this marathon. It's running. But one of my greatest desires is clarity. In my life, I love clarity. Think, think back to this last year for most of us. One of the, the main things that's been destroyed in our life is clarity. If you go back a year, just, just a year, and someone were to stand up here and say, hey, here's, here's the bad news. We're entering a pandemic. But here's the good news. We know exactly when it's going to end and when everything is going to get back to complete normal. And it's going to be, you know, I I mean, it's still not there, right? So it's going to be June 1st. Going back then, you would have been so incredibly disappointed. But there would have been clarity. And you would have said, okay, well, I know what I have to do. We're going to hunker down and we got, but the problem is so much of this year has been unclear. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know when things are going to let up. We don't know if things are going to get back to normal or when they're going to get back to normal. And that lack of clarity makes life so difficult. In this series, we've been asking the question, who is Jesus? As we work through the Gospel of Mark, who is Jesus? And and one of the things that I've noticed in this book is Jesus gives zero clarity to when, where, what, and how. He gives absolutely zero clarity to here's what you're going to do, and here's what you're going to encounter, and here's how people are going to treat you, and here's what's going to come up in your life, and here's some unexpected moments that are going to pop up along. He gives none of that. The only clarity he promises is the answer to this question, who is Jesus? And for his disciples, they struggle so much with the clarity of this question. And so we've been working through this gospel of Mark, and we come to this pivotal moment, this hinge moment in the book. It's in chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people... Now, now get this, as, as we read this story, how they're labeled, and, and so much like the paralyzed man, right? Some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. 
when he spit on the man's eyes, and if you'll remember back to last week, there was another story where Jesus spit on someone, right? Not COVID appropriate. Please do not do, even if you have green on this morning, don't go there. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were open and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. So, so you have this story where some people bring Jesus a blind man and they beg that he would touch the man so that he would be healed because Jesus has this reputation that he's been healing people and he's helped people who were lame walk and he's helped people that were blind see and he's helped people that were um, mute speak and deaf hear. He's been doing these miraculous things. He's been casting out impure spirits everywhere he goes. And so they bring a friend and they beg that Jesus would touch him so that he could be healed. And the story fascinates me because they bring this blind man in the village, I'm guessing the village that he lives in, and Jesus has come into the village. But what Jesus does is he takes him by the hand and he leads him out of the village. Right? If he's in the village and he lives in the village, he's probably, as a blind person, comfortable in that environment. But Jesus takes him by the hand from inside the village and leads him outside of the village. To, I'm guessing, a place he's not as comfortable. A place he does not know the environment as well. He, he takes him from inside where he knows what's going on to outside. Can you imagine the level of trust that this takes? Because this blind man follows Jesus before he ever sees Jesus. He follows Jesus outside the city as Jesus takes him and leads him by the hand outside the city. And he follows him before he ever sees him. Can you imagine this blind man being led by the hand outside of the village, outside of the place that he is comfortable, outside of the place that he knows? Can you imagine the questions that are running through his mind? Who is this? Who, who is this man that's leading me? Is it safe? Where are we going? Right? And then maybe even a bigger question. What if he refuses to follow Jesus? What, what if Jesus takes him by the hand and he says, you know what? I'm not really comfortable going outside of the city because I don't know outside of the city very well. Is it possible that he could have missed out on the biggest blessing of his life up until this point. Right? Jesus calls you to follow him, to trust him beyond what you see and understand and know. And sometimes that is scary. Maybe Jesus has called you to trust and follow him through a job change. 
where you lost your job, and maybe through the pandemic you lost your job. Or maybe you had to transition from one job to another because the environment was so bad for you. Or maybe it's being faithful in your marriage when your spouse has not been. And continuing to hold on and continuing to move forward the best that you can. Trusting that Jesus has something bigger in mind for your life. Maybe it's trying to break free from an addiction that has held you down for years and years and years. And trusting that Jesus will lead you, he will take you by the hand, and he will lead you to the place that he wants you to go. That is an incredible level of trust. Because trust is simply about doing what we cannot see, what we do not understand. Ultimately, faith is trust. At the end of the day, the bottom line is faith is trust. And what we've done as a church, and and not just our church, as churches, is rather than make it about faith, we've been making it about being faithful. Let's just show up, and as long as we're faithful in showing up, then that's what God is expecting of us. And faithfulness, yes, is important. But I think even a bigger component is people of great faith. Trusting that God can do more in your life and in this world than you could ever possibly imagine. See, somewhere along the line, we decided as churches to start playing it safe. To make church about making sure we're here when the doors are open. And like I said, that's an important part of our faith journey, is gathering together. But the bigger part of the journey, the bigger part is being people of incredible faith. The faith that trusts a God and a Messiah who feeds the 5,000, who casts out the impure spirits. Trusting in a God who helps the lame to walk and the deaf to hear and the dead to race. And so many times, as followers of Jesus, we live our life in these safe, comfortable bubbles. Not ever expecting God to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Thinking that miracles no longer happen. Not not believing that God can still, through His power, do the unthinkable. See, this was never about being safe. It was always about taking great risks. And as a church, it, it makes me ask the question, are we willing to put so much faith and trust in God that we're willing to risk not being here this time next year because we have such great faith that we believe that God can still move mountains. That we're going to take some risks as the body of Christ because we believe God has the power to raise the dead. We believe that God still moves mountains. We believe the tomb is still empty. And I've talked to so many young people, especially through my years in in youth ministry. And you ask them, what do they think of church? And one of their number one responses is, it's boring. 
Here's the thing. How in the world have we ever made this boring? Because this is supposed to be... I remember the first day when I was baptized and I came out of the water. And there was this sense of excitement and exhilaration that we're on this incredible journey and Jesus is using us to change and transform the world. And somewhere along the way, and if you're like me, somewhere along the way, we got pretty comfortable in a pew, calling this church. This is not church. This is a gathering of the church, the body of Christ. This is the church, but it's not this building. It's not what we do. It's who we are as a collective people. And in the story of the blind man, what happens is Jesus spits and he heals the man, but he only heals him partially. He just begins to see. And his description of what he sees is people walking around that look like trees. And then Jesus again speaks to the man. And he's healed. It's the second time. It's the second glimpse that allows his eyes to be open fully. Now, if, if you have your Bible, whether it's electronic or this paper thing that we still carry sometimes. In, in chapter 8, you're going to notice there are two short stories back to back. And the, the heading for the first one in, cha in chapter 8, verse 22, Jesus heals the blind man at Bethsaida. And the very next one is Peter declares that Jesus is Messiah. And what Mark wants you to get is there is a story within a story going on that's been going on the whole time. And just like this blind man is led by Jesus and he can see partially and then he can see fully, you have these disciples that have been led by Jesus for these past several years. And along the way they kept, keep getting glimpses of who he is, but they don't fully see they don't fully see what Mark wanted them to see from the very beginning. Because if you'll remember, Mark begins his gospel with this statement in verse 1 of chapter 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And so he begins his gospel with saying that Jesus here is the Messiah. And then no one again says the word Messiah until here in chapter 8. It's like their eyes are being opened partially and they see people walking around, but the people just look like trees, right? And so, um, verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah, and still others, some of the, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, 
you are the Messiah. So, so for eight chapters, no one says this word Messiah again. They're, they're getting a glimpse, but it's not fully who Jesus is. And he asked, who do people say that I am? And, and their answer at first is the same thing that even Herod said. Maybe this is Elijah. But then he changes the question. Not who do people say I am, but who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. For the disciples, and especially for Peter, this is that moment where he's starting to see who Jesus is. This last week I saw a video on, um, on Facebook, I think, and um, it was about a teacher, Mr. McLeod, who received an incredible gift from his students. He had been colorblind his whole life. And his students loved him so much that they started a GoFundMe page to buy him a pair of glasses that would allow him to see color for the very first time. And I want you to watch as he receives this gift from his students, but I want you to listen to what he says. <laughs> well, let's, let's give these things a shot. Frames. Check out the frames here. <laughs> Is this what you see all the time? what you see all the time. I wonder what it would be like if we were people of such great faith, believing that Jesus has the power to transform this world, that when people encountered us and saw how different our life was because of our faith in Christ, that their response would simply be, is this what you people see all the time? How much hope would it speak into a broken marriage, or kids who were struggling, or trapped within an addiction? How much hope would it bring to someone who was searching and was completely down and out that there was still hope beyond everything that they saw and understood because there was a God who loved them and was there for them and was leading them by the hand if they would just simply trust him enough to follow him with great faith. See, Isaiah led them on to this day that was going to come. And he kept telling them what was going to happen when Messiah comes. And in chapter 35 he says, Then the eyes of the blind will be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. 
And you think back through Mark's gospel, and every single one of these healings of the people who were paralyzed, who were walking, of the people who were lame and now leaping like a deer, the people who were deaf or mute and now could hear and speak. The Messiah was right in front of them. And for the disciples who had been there the whole time, they were just starting to get a glimpse of who Jesus was. And the amazing thing for this story, as we said, the man trusts and follows Jesus before he ever sees Jesus. But the blessing of sight does not come until the end of his journey. It does not come until Jesus has taken him by the hand and led him outside of the city. He has to follow, he has to trust with great faith and the blessing of God does not come until the journey is completed. See, this whole time the disciples have been struggling to see and Jesus has been telling them about the cross which they knew about they knew it was going to happen, but when it happens, they still doubt, and they still question, and they still can't see. And these ladies rush to the tomb on this morning, and they look in, and they're afraid, and they're fearful, because this wasn't how they expected it to go. And you're going to see the church through Acts, the just incredible growth, but people who are questioning and walking with fear, not knowing what comes next, trusting that God is still doing something powerful in this world. See, that question, who is Jesus? And more importantly, who do you say that I am? Is so important for you and I. Because life, life will be hard. Life over the past year has been hard. I think all of us could agree it has been a difficult year. But Jesus, just as he promised his disciples, zero clarity around the what, the where, the when, the why promises you and I absolute clarity simply around who he is. He, he does not promise you you're going to know what's going to happen next. You're going to know why it's going to happen. You're going to know what to do in that moment. You just simply know that Jesus is the Messiah and it is the most important answer to the most important question you could possibly be asked. See, Jesus asked Peter this question. If you can go back there. Who do you say I am? And that's a question for you and I. Who do you say that I am? 
Because if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the amount of faith, which is trust, should be exponential. That we're going to trust Jesus to lead us regardless of where it takes us. And we're willing to take great risks because we believe that God has the power in this world to do the unimaginable. That we believe he has the power to transform everything. And this this question, who do you say that I am? Reminds me of this moment when Moses stands before God. And Moses says, who should I say you are? Who do I tell people? And God's response to Moses is simply, I am. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus asked this question to his disciples? Who do you say I am? Because it's not just that Jesus is Messiah. It is that Jesus is God in the flesh, the great I am. That he is standing there with them. And it's not just been this healer or even a king that's leading them. It's God in the flesh coming down to earth to take them by the hand and walk with them the whole way. Because there will be days when you are questioning and needing and searching and wondering and asking and searching for an answer. And at the end of every one of those desperate prayers, God simply declares, I am. I need help. I am. I need hope. I am. Who could possibly carry me through? I am. What works? I am. What lasts? I am. What's the latest thing? I am. I need a fix. I am. I need a fresh start. I am. I need a bigger story. I am. I need a bigger vision. I am. Who can I trust? I am. Who's on my team? I am. Nobody's listening to me anymore. I am. I don't have a prayer. I am. My marriage is falling apart and I don't know where to turn. I am. I can't hold on. I am. My kids deserve more. I am. Who's pouring into me? I am. If we fail, who will get the job done? I am. I'm not sure why I'm here. I am. I've given all I have to give and it's not enough. I am. I'm tired. I am. I'm broken. I am. I quit. I am. I'm, I can't. 
I am. I need a drink. I am. I need a fix. I am. I need a lover. I am. I simply need someone to hold me. I am. And when Jesus is asked, who do you say you are? He says, I am the resurrection and life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am Savior, and I am King. I am Jesus. I am the solution. I am the builder. I am the answer. I am the wise one. I am the coming one. I am the mighty one. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one beside me. And the disciples are just now getting a glimpse of who Jesus is. They're just now getting a glimpse that it's not just Messiah in the flesh, but it is God himself in the flesh. Today, we celebrate an empty tomb. Today we celebrate a risen Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. It is the great I am's voice that speaks and says to you, I am with you, regardless of where I lead you, regardless of where I call you to go, will you trust me and follow Regardless, do you believe that I still have the power to raise the dead? Do you believe that I still have the power to resurrect things? See, as the people of God, we hold on to the clarity that we have that the tomb is empty. We, we hold on to the clarity that we have that Jesus is Messiah. We, we hold on to the clarity that the great I am is still here in our lives and is still leading us by the hand. This morning, I don't know where your walk with Jesus is. Maybe, maybe you've never begun, maybe you've never made that proclamation that I believe you are the Messiah when that question, who is Jesus, is asked, who do you say that I am? And maybe you need to do that today. My guess is there's a lot of people in this room who've been very comfortable with that question. And each week you're here or somewhere tuning in, joining in. And you can answer the question right. But I wonder if you become so comfortable that that great faith that's required when we answer Jesus is the Messiah has been stilled within us. This morning, I want to simply challenge you to look inside. And ask that question. 
Not just simply, who is Jesus? But because of your answer to that question, how has your life been changed and transformed? Father, today, we thank you so much for this time. God, we pray that you would meet us in this place. Father, as your people, as the church, as we gather, Father, fill us with great faith. Help us to trust you today more than we did the day before. And Father, may we follow even when we don't understand, even when we don't understand. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for Jesus. And pray in his name. Amen.